I want to welcome you today. I hope this message speaks to your heart. We are wrapping up our sermon series dealing with our conquering all those things that are in front of us, being more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 and 2, I believe the Lord will speak to your heart there in a tremendous way. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of how do you smell? Amen? And uh, what, what does your fragrance smell like? Matter of fact, uh, when you think of your life in the realm of fragrance, how does that smell? And I want us you to open your Bible this morning. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the book we was in 1 Corinthians, and we talked about there was really only two high spots in 1 Corinthians. One was 1 Corinthians 13, the other one's 1 Corinthians 15. And the rest of the book, I mean, Paul was just leveling the playing field, and he was dealing with people who professed to be saints of God, but were living like saints of the, of the kingdom of darkness. And, uh, man, he dealt with them. But now, when we get into 2 Corinthians, I mean, everything changes. Matter of fact, for quite some time, um, I've just been thinking about this. Let me, let me set the stage for you. This really isn't the text, but it's a great jumping off point. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to look at this uh, verse and see what it is. Paul writes to the church of Corinth. Now, the same ones that he was really getting after and saying, man, y'all just, y'all just not doing right. And he comes to him, and the second time he writes to him, and he says, now, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant, my brothers, of our affliction that took place in the province of Asia. As a matter of fact, he, he moves on with this. He says, we were completely overwhelmed. Does anybody know that feeling in this house today? To be completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. That means you can't get your way out of it. You don't have enough money, you don't have enough influence, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough physical strength, you can't fight your way out of it. it. It's bigger than you are. Paul says this thing was so great, our own strength could not deliver us from it. He says we were overwhelmed so that we despaired even the existence of our life. Even the existence of our life, we despaired it. However, get this, however. However, we personally had a death sentence Within ourselves. Now let's stop right there and talk about that. There's two types of death sentences. There's those that people place on you. One that's placed on you or one that is placed in you. The difference is those that is placed on you, they're in prison today on death row waiting to die. A judge, a jury of their peers has said this person deserves to die. And they're waiting to die because of their crimes. A death sentence is placed on them. Now, Paul knew about a death sentence being placed on him. Matter of fact, if you go to the end of this book, in chapter 12, you'll read all the things that he went through. He said, man, I was in perils in the perils on land, perils on the sea, perils with my friends, perils with my countrymen, perils with the religious crowd, and they beat me, and he describes all that. He says, one time I was preaching, and they stoned me, and they... Drug me out in the streets, threw me in the ditch, left me for dead. I love that story. Paul came to, jumped up, knocked the dust off himself, went right back to the same town, same church, kept preaching. Amen? He had a death sentence on himself. Now, now go back to what he said earlier. He said, we despaired even our life. Our life, we despaired it because they were trying to kill him. Or scare him so much that he would leave town. 
So Paul knew what it was like to have a death sentence. He knew what it was like to hand out death sentences. He knew what it was like to hold a death sentence in his hand. You remember his story on the road to Damascus? He had the execution agreement to be able to go and kill the Christians. Paul knew a little bit about death sentences. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I'm not interested in the death sentences that has been placed on me because there's a greater death sentence that has been placed within me. And because there's one within me, the one that's on me, me cannot triumph over the one that has been placed in me the one that's been placed on me are you still picking up what i'm putting down now here's what he says he goes on and he says we were so weak that we didn't even trust ourselves but we put our hope our trust in god who raised the dead and delivered us from such a terrible death for he delivered us and we have placed our hope in him And he will deliver us again. Paul understood this, that he was immortal till God was finished with him. Now there's something worth tweeting. Amen. That we can live the immortal life till God's will and plan for our life is finished. God is up to something in our hearts and lives. Paul said, Church of Corinth, understand this. I don't want you not to know. We didn't just fly over here. This was not an easy trip to get here. They tried to kill us on every turn. It was so hard, so horrific that we despaired even our life. But we had a sentence of death within ourselves that the circumstances on the outside didn't matter because what was going on on the inside was greater than anything that could be going on on the outside. That we brought about the pathway of victory. And here we stand today. Now go over a couple of chapters and let's jump into the heart of the text. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God who always puts on display in Christ and spreads through us in every place the scent of knowing. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing, we are the aroma of death, leading unto death. But to others, a scent of life, leading to life. Now, let's stop right there. Now, this is a translation that I normally uh, preach out of. It's the Holman translation. But I want to read that from a different translation because if you go back and he says in that first verse right there of 2 Corinthians chapter 14, it's actually not a really good rendering of that text. And here's what it means in the actual language. But thank God that he has made us captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, this translation that I read from says that he, he puts us on display. And, and, and the, the King James says that he brings us the victory. But the victory is really not for us. It's for Christ. Christ allows us to follow along in his triumphal procession. Now, we don't really understand that. And for the last several weeks, you know, there's, we, we always need people pouring into our lives. As you've heard me say before, there's three people that pour into my life on a regular basis, and I consider them older men that mentor me. And one of them, bless his heart, tries to meet with me every week, and you know he has his work cut out. And and so, uh, so you pray for Pastor Ken. But um, as we think about this, there's there's these dynamics, and and then as a pastor, we always need to be learning, we always need to be fed. And 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 when I was a boy, my dad would take me to hear this guy named Ron Dunn, and was re-familiarized with some of his stuff. And there was an illustration that he used pertaining to this passage of Scripture that really just has messed my life up. And uh, 
Because we don't understand this, he allows us to follow along in his triumphal procession. But what he clearly and eloquently defined was that the people who Paul was writing at Corinth knew a little bit about it. Because when the emperors and the kings would go off and they would fight battles and they would win, they would come home and there would be this great procession of victory. This great triumphal procession. Matter of fact, when they got word that the emperor was coming back in victory, there would be a runner that would go ahead and herald the message that the king was coming. The emperor was coming. The victory was coming back to town. When he was coming back to his seat of government to take his place on his throne, they would have this big hoopla, this big celebratory feast. And after the herald would pass, there would be these people that would come in and they would take these, they'd go through the streets and they'd have these censers. And they would have this incense that would be burning and the aroma would fill the streets. Now the greatest way that you can probably understand this, me being a boy that grew up in South Louisiana, have, has attended my share of Catholic funerals. And so every Catholic funeral that I've ever attended, the priest would take his, his, his chalice, he would paint his incense in, that, in, in his censer and he would, it would hang on a chain and he would light that. It would be hot hot smoke and aroma that would come from it. And when at the end of the service, towards the middle, toward, towards the halfway to the end of the sermon, he would take that censer and he would swing it over the casket. And I, I can see that as a boy in my mind. I, I can just see that. Matter of fact, it's even more than a visual thing. I can smell it right now. <laughs> I mean, that smell, I can smell it right now. There's none of that burning around here right now. And so, but are, are you picking up my mental picture here? All right. And so they would take that censer and they would wave that around. So these men would, would go out in the streets and for all the people who were a late riser, like some people, and, and may have missed the herald coming through the streets, declaring the triumphal procession was about to get, begin when they would open their door or their windows or their tent or wherever they lived in, all of a sudden that aroma would fill the streets and fill their home. And they would say, oh, today is the day of victory. That is the aroma of life. That is the aroma of victory. That is the aroma that our conquering hero has conquered the people who were trying to conquer us. Are you still with me? We got one, amen? And uh, so as we move through this progress and we go through this procession, they're moving forward and, and, and man, they're smelling that aroma. And so all of a sudden as the aroma filled the streets, the people would begin to line the streets and then here would come this emperor. He would have his horses, and he would have his chariot, normally as a golden chariot, and he'd come through this town. And as he would come through this town, all of a sudden people would fill the streets. And then they was excited. You know what it's like to fill the streets for a parade. It was excitement, all this stuff. And uh, But man, when the emperor would pass, they would cheer because that was their conquering hero. But when they would really cheer would be after the chariot would pass, behind the chariot there would be the captains and the, the leaders and the guards of all the other armies that they were fighting, the army they were fighting, and they would be chained to his chariot, and that conquering hero was leading them off to their death to execute them. That's what they would do. When you would win, you would bring all the people who were trying to kill you, and you'd take them home, and you'd kill them, and make sure they didn't come back and try to kill you. That's the way they did war. It was bloody. It was brutal. It was, there was no Geneva Treaty. Amen? I mean, it, was just, it, it was just downright gruesome. And, but when those captives would pass, the people would just begin to cheer because their conquering hero would pass by. Now, you and I have a conquering hero, Jesus Christ, who did not ride into town with a team of horses. He did not come into town with a golden chariot. However, he came in on an animal, and it was just a little donkey, amen? 
Matter of fact, he didn't own it. He had to borrow it. And, uh, man, as we, in, in, Jesus sent his disciples and said, Lord, have need of that donkey. And so he got on his little donkey. He rode into town. He stirred up a procession, though. People began to take off their outer garments, lay them on the ground. The little donkey went over them. They took palm branches, waved them into town, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The church crowd tried to quieten it down and said, man, tell that bunch to be quiet. Jesus said, I can, but then you can have a bigger mess on your hands because all the creation will begin to praise this moment that the conquering hero, Jesus Christ, is coming through the city of Jerusalem, his seat of government. Now, as we think about this, he went in. However, his... his uh, his procession ended at a different place. You see, as he rode his donkey into town, he got off of his donkey just a few days later, his procession led him into Pilate's hall. It led him into the Gavitha. It led him, the conquering hero, to be scourged, to be smitten, to be afflicted, to have his body lacerated by the wounds of the sin of many. However, after that, he was no longer on his little donkey riding up to Mount Calvary with his good Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on, but he had something else. It was a little different appearance. All of a sudden, he had a cross that was placed upon his back. He drugged that thing as far as he could drag it. He fell down under the weight of it. Simon the Serene picked up the cross, carried it the rest of the way, and all of a sudden, everybody who was an enemy of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, stood there on the mount called Golgotha and on Golgotha's hill the conquering hero Jesus Christ said I'm not finished yet I'm not leading everybody off into execution but I am laying down my life the conquering hero is going to die for the captives I'm going to die for my enemies and Jesus Christ laid down his life and died on that cross However, we just celebrated. We know that's not the end of the story. It was a great getting up morning. Three days later, Jesus Christ became the conquering hero. Now, there's my introduction. You ready? We're getting to the point point, the heart of the message. Now, you know why everybody else got out of 1010. Amen? Jesus says, but Paul said, but thanks be to God who lets me join him in his triumphal procession. That I may follow along in the pathway of victory. And diffuse the fragrance of life through me. Now understand this here clearly. There was only one fragrance that day. But for the men who was in front of that chariot. For the people who were lined up along the streets of that chariot. Where that chariot was passing. It was the fragrance of life. It was the fragrance of victory. But for the men who was chained to that chariot behind there, I'm telling you, that same fragrance didn't have that same smell because they had a sentence of death on themselves and they were being led off to execution. So what one smelled like victory to the other, it smelled like death. Are you still with me this morning? Now here's what I want you to grasp today. The victory is already yours. You can live the conquered life. That you can live a conquering life if you've been conquered. We're trying to live a conquering life and not live a conquered life. I mean, how many times have you ever heard this? Boy, I know I've said it. Man, I've got to get up and go fight this battle today. I've got to get up. Man, I've got war with the devil. Man, I've got I, I to gotta, I gotta wage, gotta wage war against the forces of darkness. And, uh, man... You know, all of us have said that. And, and, but you know what? We don't have to do that. 
Because there was a line that was drawn in the sand 2,000 years ago and Jesus Christ, the royal diadem of heaven, the prince of life, laid down his life on the cross of Calvary, had a death sentence placed upon himself, that he paid a debt that he didn't owe and we owed a debt that we couldn't pay and Jesus Christ finished all that up on Calvary's cross that we might rise up and follow along in our conquering hero's wake of victory. You don't have to fight the devil. The battle's already won. He's already conquered any battle that you ever have to fight. The problem is we want to pick up our sword and we want to go do it our way. We want to be like Peter, amen? I mean, there's Jesus, just him and his little renegade of believers in the Garden of Gethsemane, and here comes the, 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 the mighty soldiers of, of, the, of, of that time, and they're coming to arrest him, man. Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off the ear of Malchus, and Jesus is like, man, put away that sword. Son, if our kingdom was of this world, don't you think we'd have had legions of angels coming to fight for us to conquer this world? We're not conquering this hemisphere. We're conquering the whole world, the whole universe. First, second, and third heavens. Now, what does that mean for me today? Well, you have to understand it. And you know I'm a simple-minded guy. So I look up the definition to the most simplest words, and I looked up the definition to the word understanding. He said, boy, you really are pretty, pretty lame-brained. Well, I'm glad I did, because look at the definition of understanding. It means the understanding is this. It's the mental process of comprehension. In other words, if you don't understand a problem, a formula, understanding is what you put together and you, you, you try to work your way through and understand the problem that you may come up with a solution. Now, all you guys are picking up what I'm putting down because you're a fix-it person. You look at a problem, how can I fix it? You work through, do you come up with a solution? And, and you know, I understood that definition of it, but, but then it's just knowledge that we're familiar with. Now, there's understanding. You know, there's a lot of people, they're very smart, but they, they, don't, they don't have any knowledge of understanding. I mean, the Bible tells us to get wisdom, and we should. Get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. But it also says, in all of your getting, please stop by and get some understanding. Because if you don't have any understanding, then you won't know how to apply the knowledge that you have. I mean, back in my day, if there, we would call these people this, we'd call them world books. Because they were just a, a book that contained a volume of information, but they had no, a world book cannot apply the information that it contains. There's a lot of people today that have a lot of knowledge. Today, all you younger generation are looking at me saying, what in the world is a world book? Well, let me, just call yourself Google, if you will. I mean, Google has all the information in the world, but Google cannot apply the information. A user, someone has to step up, take the information, and make it applicable to every day's task. A lot of people have knowledge, but they don't have understanding. Today, what God is wanting to do in your heart is to give you a simple understanding of what it means to live the victorious life. I love this definition. I'm glad I looked it up because this is really where the rubber met the road for me. It's a mutual agreement when you come to an understanding. Me and my neighbor came to an understanding over his cat. Me and my neighbor came to an understanding of the fence, of where the property line was. Me and my child came to an understanding. An understanding is a mutual agreement, and that's what we must have. We must have an understanding of what it means to live the conquered life. The understanding to live the conquered life doesn't mean that you know all the books of the Bible and you read the Bible through twice a year, much less once a year. It doesn't matter how much you... Uh, 
attain, it matters how much do you retain and apply to your life on an everyday basis that it may help transform the outcome of your life. And so what Jesus is looking for today is for you to have an understanding of what it means to live the conquering life that you can live victoriously. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumphal procession. That he would be our conquering hero. We must understand, first of all, what the battle is. I use this as my sermon illustration, uh, as my text in the very first sermon in this series, and it was with David. You remember, David had a purpose, and he was going to conquer that purpose. He was not going to live beyond the potential that God had created him for. But what we did talk about is how David went out there that day, and he went to bring the bread and cheese to his brothers who was out there fighting the battle, in the middle of fighting the battle. They were out there, and, and all of a sudden, he's peddling out this cheese and the bread the mom and dad gave him to bring out there to his brothers and there's this big giant that stands up and starts cursing the name of God and David says who in the world is that uncircumcised Philistine making a mockery out of my God and they said oh man he's a tormentor of the Philistines trophy of power and all this and he's like David looks around he's like man what are y'all doing isn't somebody gonna take care of him he's like no 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 Israel was in their tent hiding the, the, their conquering hero was being in the process of being conquered, and he was out there hiding, Saul. And David says, well, if y'all not going to do anything, I'm going to do something. And David went out there, and, and on his way out, he said, man, put this armor on you. And they had this big conquering hero right here, Saul. He said, put this armor on you. Man, he put that armor on, it didn't fit. And David said, I don't need that armor. And his brothers were like, well, good luck, man. We'll see you. It's been nice knowing you. Can I have your piece of chicken next week when we get back off this battlefield? Can I have your dessert? Because you ain't coming back. And David puts on his armor, the armor he was familiar with that he killed the lion and the bear with, and he reached down, he took his slingshot and five smooth stones, and he went out there. And he looked at Goliath. And Goliath said, who do you think I am, a dog, that you would come out here with, with rocks and slings? To fight me. And David said no. No I came. I come out here in the name of the Lord. Host tribe of Israel. Whose name you're cursing. And he is going to deliver you into my hands. Now he's probably looking at the kneecaps of Goliath. With five smooth stones. And he says he's going to deliver me into your hands. Because the battle's not mine. The battle is his. The battle wasn't Israel's. That's why they were hiding. The battle wasn't Saul's. The battle was God's. Had Saul went and defeated him, had Israel went and defeated him, God wouldn't have been able to get the glory. God was able to get the glory because he took a little bitty run, a little lad and, and, and who was used to just uh, watching sheep, playing his harp and writing poetry, and he conquered the greatest giant in the whole region because it was God's victory. Today, you've got to have an understanding of whose victory it is, whose battle you're fighting. It's Jesus Christ. He's already conquered it. The second thing you must understand is that the victories are already yours. You just got to submit to it. Now, the problem is that we don't like that word submit because if you look up the definition of submit, it means to yield oneself to the authority of another. Oh, my gosh. Boy, you had me, Pastor. Boy, you don't hear much preaching about that today, huh? Yielding oneself to the authority of another. Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Submit to my way. Submit to my pathway. Submit to what God is doing. Have an understanding who's the battle is for. Secondly, go a little bit further. Have an understanding the victory is ours, but we must be willing to submit to it. The problem is that behind that chariot is a rough place to travel. 
We like to be up in the front seat. Amen. We like to help God out. We say, God, okay, I don't want to be the pilot. I, I don't want you to be my co-pilot. I'm going to be more spiritual than that. I, I want you to be, I, I want to be your co-pilot. You know, the problem is God doesn't need a co-pilot. He's omnipotent, which means he never gets sleepy. He, 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 he never gets sick. So, like, he doesn't need someone to take over in case of an emergency. That's what a co-pilot's there for, to take over in case of an emergency. God doesn't need a co-pilot because he never has any emergencies. There's never an emergency board board meeting of the triune Godhead that says, oh my gosh, we didn't see that coming. What in the world are we going to do? No, no, God doesn't need a co-pilot. What he needs is somebody that says, I'll go with you. I'll follow you. I'll be submissive no matter what happens. Some of our older brothers may remember this song, and you remember singing it as a kid or, or an adult, and it was, uh, uh, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. A real upbeat song, as upbeat as it could be in that realm. But what most people don't understand is where that song was birthed. The writer of that song, who was an evangelist, was all preaching a revival, and his son and his wife, young boy, went away to stay with the in-laws, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, the house caught on fire. The in-laws escaped, but his wife and his boy burned up in that house fire. And that pastor found himself having an emotional breakdown in an institution, not knowing what to do. And in the middle of that institution, all of a sudden, he wrote this verse. Not the first verse, but it wasn't the one that stands out with preeminence which there's within my heart a melody. It's this verse. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, I see his footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. The problem is the conquering hero is not asking for your advice, ladies, which way to travel. All you men said amen. He's not looking for the GPS guidance. He's not looking for any influence on the selection of the pathway that he wants to travel. You remember what it was like when you first received Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior? I mean, you couldn't do nothing wrong. Hallelujah, glory to God. I'm going to praise him all the days of my life. And man, we were on the freeway. I mean, it felt like you could just jump up and, 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 and slam dunk a ball. And I mean, you know you couldn't jump over a foot. Some of you don't know what that's like. But as we think about this, that's how you felt. And then all of a sudden, God began to take you down another pathway, take you to a little substandard highway. Then he takes you to a highway that used to resemble an asphalt highway. And then all of a sudden, you don't know what in the world's going on. You're like, you're rethinking this. And then he leads you through some paths that are rough and steep. And then you're rethinking your submission. You don't know what to do or where to turn. And then you're looking for a way to break the chains that are holding you to his chariot. See, God is calling us to be chained to his chariot. He is the conquering hero. If you're chained to his chariot, then everywhere that you're walking, you're walking on conquered ground. But when you take your chains off and decide you want to go fight your own battle, then you're on unconquered ground because you're not the place where your, your conquering hero is traveling. Are you with me? Say amen. Now, as we go through this, we understand that God is working about a work that we can't understand because he's trying to develop within us a pathway that we cannot understand. Submissiveness. You say, well, I don't want to be behind the chariot. Those guys were leading off to execution. Go back to what Paul said in the first chapter of Second Corinthians. We had a sentence of death on ourselves, but we had one within ourselves. 
Look at what Paul writes here very clearly dealing with this passage of Scripture. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, I bear in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Christ may be manifested in my body. I mean, what an interesting passage of Scripture here. When you begin to connect these dots, he's saying that death in me brings about life in you. Paul says that I am going about in the pathway of the conquering hero that I may follow him, that I bear in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. I bear in my body that I die to myself that I may live to him. Now the thing about your conquering hero is he's not looking for you to die physically. He's just looking for you to die emotionally and intellectually and that you may accept the finished work of Calvary. That you may follow the plan that he has for your life. It's God's will that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. But people are perishing left and right. The conquering hero is leading you down a pathway. And he's trying to bring you into victory. The question is, will you accept it? Will you believe in it? Will you cling to it? Will you rely on him? Now, when we connect these dots, we understand that this is where it really got real for me. Because I felt like I had to work the victory. Pastor Ken came by one day and, and talked to us as a staff. He really caught us off guard. Came in at an unusual time. He said, I was praying for you today. I was in town. I just wanted to stop by because he never stops by without an appointment. And he said, God gave me a word when I was praying for you today. He said, Pastor Brad, God wanted me to remind you that you didn't find yourself in the middle of this mess. You started it. I said, well, I received that as a encur- word of encouragement when I figure out how it is. Amen. What he was telling me is, you can't blame your predecessor. You can't do all this. You know, a church planning word is this, that careful of what kind of churches you plan because you're going to have to pastor it. You know, you can't blame the previous administration. There was none. I mean, I was just feeling the weight, man, the weight of trying to reach the inner city, the weight of trying to reach the homeless, the weight of trying to bridge the, the racial divides, the weight of trying to become a cross-cultural church that's appealing to one racial group, one cultural group, one socioeconomic group, and try to bridge all that together and bring it together in the body of Christ that we may look like heaven down on earth for some reason, amen? I mean, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be different sects. Heaven's heaven. And I'm thinking, God, I just believe, Lord, I'm just unintelligent enough to believe that I can do this on earth. And so I find myself in the middle of this stress trying to bridge these cultural divides, bridge these racial divides, bridge these uh, social divides, bridge these emotional divides, bridge these hobby divides, bridge all that together. And I'm saying, God, what in the world am I doing? And God just says, son, it's not your responsibility to bridge it. I've already bridged it. It's just your responsibility to be faithful. And I realized at that moment that God said it's upon this rock that I will build my church. Not you, Brad. It's not your responsibility to build the church. It's your responsibility just to be there and watch me build it. Therefore, I mean, we've heard that stuff. I mean, I've heard it for years. I remember my second church, a lady called me in and she said, I got a problem with you, Pastor. I mean, about after about, after about three months, you know, the honeymoon wore off. And she said, the problem is you care too much about your law, the laws. You're out there too much in the city trying to make a difference. I said, wait a minute, I, I thought that's what you brought me here for, you know, to reach our city for Christ. And so, man, I began to connect those dots, and, and she's like, no, 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 you need to minister to us. Oh, wait a minute, I thought that's what some of the New Testament epistles were about, and you know that whole story. 
And we've heard that, oh, Pastor Brad, he only cares about the inner city. He only cares about the homeless. He only cares about this cultural group. He don't care about me. He don't love me enough. He don't check on me enough. And I realized, you know what? God, I am driving myself crazy. I am not omnipotent. I do not hold any God-sized tendencies in my life other than the Holy Spirit. And I realized, you know, it wasn't my responsibility to reach the lost. It wasn't my responsibility to reach the homeless. It wasn't my responsibility to make all that happen. It was my responsibility to ride in the pathway and the wave of my conquering hero, Jesus Christ, show up, be faithful, be accounted for, be godly, live a life of integrity, live a life of holiness, and make a difference for the glory of God. Let me illustrate that for you. This is an important part. The pathway that I was traveling down in the past represented this pot. And it may represent some of the pots for you. It's not much to look at, but this is a good cooking pot. It's heavy. And when we are trying to win the loss, when we are trying to minister to the homeless, when we are trying to minister to the body and do all those things in our own strength, this is what it's like. We, we dip out of this and we say, here's your drink. Here's your drink. Here's your drink, Mr. Inner City. Here's your drink, Mr. Homeless Person. Here's your drink, Mr. Professional Man. Here's your drink, Mr. NASCAR Culture Group. And, and, and you go through all this, and, and what happens is I'm sitting here, and I'm doling this out, and I'm doling it out, and I'm doling it out. And, but the problem is that there's a, this thing has a limit. It can only hold so much. And God spoke to my heart and he said, Son, I did not call you to the ministry to peddle out the gospel like you would a fresh drink. What I want you to do is to be chained to my chariot and you would follow along in the pathway of victory and you would be concerned about yourself getting with God, walking with God, abiding with God. And then when you go over here to the inner city group, in the inner city park, when you go over here to the homeless group, when you go over here and you meet with the professional group, when you go over here and you meet with the NASCAR group and then you meet with the golfers and then you meet with the duck hunters and then you meet with the buck hunters and then you meet with the basket weaving society when you go over there to them what's happening is you're not doling it out you've already been with me you're already chained to my chariot you're already diffusing the fragrance of life and therefore Christ within you becomes the fountain of living water you're trusting in the God who formed us, fashioned us, and called us, and predestined us to be in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, to overflow out of my life. That that way, you're not drinking what I dole out. You're just, I'm just spilling over. What God is looking for in my life. What God is looking for in your life, sir, what God is looking for in your life, ma'am, young people, is he's looking for you to go to your cubicle and have been with Jesus and be living the life of submission and just overflow. Just spill over. Just diffuse the fragrance of life. Now, if they receive the fragrance of life as the fragrance of death, then so be it. Just know how you smell. You smell like the rose of Sharon. Are you living in the overflow? Are you diffusing the fragrance? Or are you like I was? You're just dipping it out. A couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, said, Pastor Brad, they've been here a long time. He said, Pastor, I believe that's the best sermon I ever heard you preach. So what was the difference? I said, I got away for two days to spend time with the Lord. 
What God is looking for is for us to get away, to ride in the pathway of his victory, that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Last of all, it doesn't matter where you go. You got to know who the battles is for. You got to understand. You got to have an agreement that it's his battle. You got to have an agreement that you're chained to the chariot. Now, I know that's a bad place to be. Because behind the chariot is not a good place to travel. I mean, when Paul was writing this, I'm, I'm sure it's before the historic society made them put little bags underneath the back of horses when they would take, you know, like Natchitoches or New Orleans. they got these carriages, and it's catching. I mean, it just gets nasty by, when you're going traveling behind a chariot. I'm sure that emperor didn't mind what his animals were leaving on the chariot. Sometimes when you're chained behind the chariot, he'll lead you through paths that seem rough and steep. But you can see his footprints all the way. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. He's your conquering hero that can keep you singing as you go. You must know that the victory remains in every situation. Let me illustrate it theologically. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I read you verse 10 that I bear in my body the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That the life I live in the body may be manifested through my flesh. Galatians 2 and 20. I've been crucified with Christ yet I live. The life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. If he leads you to it he's already overcome it. Now, I know you know this scripture. Some of you didn't know that verse 10 that I quoted you. But what about this scripture? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. I mean, look at it. What a great scripture. For if we are hard pressed, if we are hard pressed on every way, yet not crushed. We're pressed, hard pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Don't we love that verse? I mean, come on. You know that verse. You love that verse. You probably got it wrote down and put it underneath your pillow at night. But who gets to claim that verse? Look at the next verse. For those who are caring about the dying of their self. In their body. That the life of Christ may be manifested through their mortal body. I know this is... This is deep traveling here. This is normally not what you hear when you go to church. But here's what I am telling you. That some of you are at wit's end corner. And you're living a life of despair. Because you're trying to conquer all the stuff that's already been conquered. I'm telling you that it doesn't matter what happens in your life. Your conquering hero, Jesus Christ, has already conquered it. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Death, where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And then wrap it up. He took captivity and brought it captive. That you may have life and have it more abundantly. Now the problem is, we have to stay chained to his triumphal procession. Go back to the first verse. But thanks be to God who leads me through his, through his, Triumphal procession. I don't care what denomination you're fond of. It doesn't say that in that blank. I don't care what parachurch ministry you're fond of. It doesn't say that ministry brings about the victorious procession. 
triumphal procession. I don't care what church you're fond of. It doesn't say it there. What preacher you're fond of. What televangelist you're... Nobody. It says that leads us through His. But thanks be to God who lives us through His triumphal procession. Through who? Through who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. God has the victory. The victory has been won through the finished work of Calvary, through Jesus Christ. Nothing in your hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. What am I saying to you today? Jesus needs to be the center. As we wrap up this sermon this morning, I hope that the Lord has spoken to your heart. God is wanting to bring you victory through Jesus Christ. All we have to be willing to do is to submit to it and allow Him to bring about that work that He's doing in our hearts and our lives.